Greetings, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 43 with Joe Levy. Um, really fun episode. Uh, Joe's a guy that I've uh, worked around and with uh, for a good bit, but never really have sat down to have a good conversation. I'm glad that we made time for this. Uh, it's a really great uh, discussion about his background. He's a big uh, higher ed assessment and data nerd. I respect him a lot for um, how deep and invested he is in this work. Um, he's involved in a lot of different stuff. Um, I'll link out to everything that he does down in the show notes and ways for you to connect with him. So I highly encourage you to do that. And uh, uh, it's a really engaging episode, and um, hopefully you enjoy it as much as I did uh, you know, recording it. So um, yeah, after this brief message from our sponsor, this is episode number 43 with Joe Levy. This episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast is brought to you by Top Hat, the teaching app that makes active learning come to life. Top Hat helps thousands of professors create their perfect course. Our app is easy to use and allows you to engage your class, adopt next generation textbooks, and run tests, all within a secure digital environment. See why faculty in over 700 colleges and universities across North America trust Top Hat to power their classrooms. Visit tophat.com slash geek. That's tophat.com slash geek. Um, well, I guess, have you been up to uh, anything fun over the summer, I guess? I don't know how much time you've had to, uh, you know, take any vacations or anything like that. Probably the we're, we're saving up um, not to give away one of my responses for things I'm looking forward to. But <laughs> we're this at the end of September, we're going to Hawaii. So this mm. summer we've been kind of not doing a lot of traveling. But the one thing we did do that was really cool was um, we moved my grandmother into an assisted living facility. Mm-hmm. And she's not a pack rat, but she has just so much stuff. And so the family was going through her stuff because she really wanted, you know, she wanted her things to kind of live on and, and wanted people to value them like she valued them. But the really neat thing is... I wanted to go through her books because I remember going to her house and there being this bookshelf with books that I remember thinking the dates were really old. And so mm-hmm. going back through them, I found two uh, instructional manuals for one for teaching English, another one for teaching math, and they're both from the 1870s. And then I found a uh, textbook or I'm sorry, um, like a handbook, almost like a what to expect your freshman year. Um, and that was dated uh, from 1913. Um, oh. And the really interesting thing about that one, too, is that was owned by um, my great aunt. And so I thought it was really interesting that, you know, this and, and I mean, even when you read the text, it like starts out. It's like, you know, what because it's written from the perspective of a faculty and it's like, what? grown men can do for our young boys <laughs> so i just thought that was what a while like i i can only imagine what you know women thought you know going through higher education at that time when you know even the literature was omitting them from from the conversation um and then the the final piece was i found uh handwritten notes from my great-grandfather in a psychology class from the early 1900s and so I point out all the what's what's the most fascinating about all these or serendipitous is I was an English and math major 
And then I obviously went on to get my degree in higher ed. So there was a book for all my academic disciplines. And then my partner um, got her undergrad and grad degree in psychology. And so you know, she kind of, I found that other book for her. And so it was just so wild that, you know, I found all these old books all on one bookshelf hitting all our disciplines. Um, and so, so now I have those books displayed in my office. Very cool. I think a lot of those things may live on, but they may be like, I mean, just in a library somewhere, like it'd be hard to find, like, unless you were looking for it, but then you just, you had all that stuff there, like just to go through and like check out versus like, you know, you'd have to spend hours and hours like, Oh, let me just go like wander every single aisle in like a library <laughs> or something or like, you know, like trying to find, you know, something you didn't even know existed. And it's, but it's like, yeah, that, that would be so cool to me too. Yeah. Like having that opportunity to, I mean, like some of the personal stuff like that, like, you know, personal mm -hmm. notes, but then also just like stuff that's been around for a very long time. And you get this very unique insight of just like, it was a product of its time. So it's like, you know, just, uh, you know, as much as we can learn from like history, like looking back, it's like those like primary artifacts. Like this was a book from like the 1800s. That's like, that's wild. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's pretty neat. Uh, cool. So yeah, we'll, we'll get to, um, you know, more stuff in the body of the episode. And um, we'll start out here, though, as we always do, if you just want to give a um, quick introduction of who you are and how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name's Joe Levy, and I am currently the executive director of assessment and accreditation at National Lewis University in Chicago, Illinois. I have, as many higher ed people do, I've had an interesting path. Um, Prior to higher ed, uh, I'm a military brat, so I grew up along the East Coast, uh, moved uh, every two years or less. Um, so it's always an interesting question to answer, you know, where I consider home or where I'm from, because mm -hmm. I lived in eight different states uh, by the second grade. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but I lived the longest in Ohio, so and that's also where I went to college. So I like to think of Ohio as my my home base, even though uh, my family is no longer there. Um, but yeah, I did my undergraduate there at Baldwin Wallace College. Now they're Baldwin Wallace University, um, and I was a double major in math and English. But by sophomore year, was turned on to the student affairs path. Um, and, you know, for, for, you know, from talking with career services and identifying it was something that I was passionate about and being able to pair that passion with an actual career path, I started down that road. Um, and so as I was being really intentional in my college experiences, I ended up bumping math down to just a minor, uh, because it was starting to certainly dominate my uh my free time and getting increasingly harder uh and knowing that while it was interesting and fascinating um it was not going to be immediately applicable to my my future path um so then i went from bw on to colorado state university i wanted to be so bw was a small private liberal arts institution in the midwest and as i mentioned um Growing up, I, I lived along the East Coast, and so I really wanted to be intentional with the next institution in trying to go to a different institutional type as well as to go somewhere geographically different. Uh, and so I searched uh, a number of different institutions, but ultimately ended up at Colorado State University in Fort 
Collins, Colorado. Got my master's in student affairs and higher education there. And then from there, um, CSU is actually where, just like BW helped me put a name to student affairs and working in higher ed, CSU helped me put a name to assessments. Um, That was something that uh, once I formally found out about it, I realized that's how I had been operating. You know, even as a, a student, I was wanting to know what people thought of our, you know, student activities and how we can use that data to improve and are we actually achieving our intended uh, outcomes and targets. Uh-huh. And so once I learned about assessment, um, one, I became increasingly fascinated in it. And two, I also realized I was one of the few people in the room that just kind of got it. Um, it just made sense to me. Um, and so coming out of grad school, I really wanted to do assessment full-time. Um, but unfortunately, at the time, and still a little bit now, uh, although the the, mar- the the field and the market's gotten better, um, there aren't a lot of entry-level assessment jobs. Um, a lot of it is, you know, being an analyst or, you know, really tuned to somebody who maybe came from a hard science background or, you know, you know, stats or they're, or they're deep in research. And so they're coming from a specific discipline and, and, and have that background, which none of those situations were me. Um, and so I was fully prepared to just kind of go a typical student affairs route and kind of take any position and then volunteer and say that I was interested in assessment because as many people know, Sometimes those folks are rare, and when they're when they make themselves known, they immediately get snatched up on committees, or people are happy to help the, have them, you know, help with their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was going to go that route, but then an opportunity came available to apply for a position at then Student Voice, now Campus Labs, and so I went there and worked as an assessment consultant, uh, assistant director of assessment programs, um, for a couple years. Which is a little interesting because um, it's a little backwards. <laughs> a lot of people work at institutions and then go to be a consultant or, or then go to um, work you know, outside the industry. But it was an opportunity for me to do assessment you know, 24-7 and I loved it. It was incredibly amazing and such a training ground for me and um, really taught me so much more as well as I got to work with um, 40 to 50 institutions that were my own and I got to help you know cultivate their assessment culture over the course of two and a half years and then I also was exposed to then assessment culture at hundreds of other universities and so I walked away from that experience knowing institutional practice at hundreds of universities and you know not just reading about the trends of what was going on in assessment in the field, but actually knowing it and being able to, to point to specific institutional examples, as well as point to contacts and, and people at those campuses. Uh, so from there, I really then, while I really enjoyed my time there, I wanted to then start doing the work myself. Uh, because again, I came straight out of grad school to there. So I wanted mm. to get on the campuses myself and own the work myself. So I set out um, looking to work at different institutions, and you know I came to University of Chicago. Um, also met my partner here in Chicago, and then since then I've really just worked at a couple different institutions doing assessment work. And over time, also got um, 
roped in a bit to the accreditation work, which uh, assessment certainly has a, a big part in, in demonstrating and evidencing how institutions are operating. And that kind of leads me to here. I've, I've been doing assessment for some years now and then accreditation now the past five or so years. And, and that's what I'm doing now, assessment and accreditation. Yeah. I guess I can really appreciate though, like you had a pretty clear like vision of the kind of work that you wanted to do. And I I know for me, like I've always kind of struggled, you know, coming up in residence life, it's a very generalist role. You have all these touch points and different things where it's like, like, Oh, that would be cool. Like, you know, if I did that or like, it'd be cool to do that. Like, and I, I have that sort of desire to maybe try to like specialize, but then I just kind of, you know, I think I've realized about my personality in general. I'm just kind of like a sampler. Like I think I, I, there's part of me, you know, that that likes being like a generalist and, you know, it certainly comes up in like, you know, my, my geeky interest, I'll usually just Mm -hmm. kind of dabble and not get like too, too deep in one particular thing. Um, but then when it came to like my professional journey, you know, um, yeah, I think it's, it's still just recognizing maybe more that, that feeling is a bit more salient, I guess, of just that desire to not specialize in one area. But like, if you, like you had like from the start, like you had that clear vision of that was the kind of work that you wanted to do. And you've now done it, you know, like you're saying, like right when you started, like you saw like all these different kind of institution types and I'm sure, you know, on their own, they're like different phases of their journey. If they were like just building something or trying to sustain something that's been around for a while or yeah, like if they're getting accredited, that's a whole other kind of, you know, uh, you know, process and everything. But, um, yeah, I can certainly appreciate people that are, you know, uh, committed to, to a certain kind of work. And, um, yeah, cause I think that the depth of, and you know, almost if you classify it differently of like geekiness is kind of more of like the sampler getting like really nerdy and like in depth with one thing, you know, like, yeah. but like, you know, if you're kind of engaging in those different parts of your brain, I think it's good to have, you know, a lot of those different kind of people working together and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's everything's valuable. There's a place for everything, yeah. kind of thing. But I was going to say it's it's really interesting that you say that because um, I actually the one of the things I love about assessment is it allowed me to stay in that generalist mindset. So I very much, you know, when I went into graduate school, my my sort of secret goal was I need to figure out where in higher ed I'm going to work because as an undergrad. I did everything and I loved everything. Um, I mean, I'm I'm telling you, I mean, you can quiz me if you want, but the only student experience or functional area of the university I did not in some way interact or work in as a student worker, as a volunteer, was study abroad. Mm -hmm. Everything else I did. I mean, I I was a resident assistant. I was an orientation leader. I, I, I did athletics. I did theater. Um, I participated with kind of our, our, um, communications group. I worked from, I work in our admission office, our alumni office, food service. I mean, (laughs) I did everything I could because once, you know, and some of that I was doing already just because I, you know, fell in love with the collegiate environment and really felt at home there. But once I knew, like I said, my sophomore year, once it clicked in my head, I wanted to go into student affairs. I then, you know, for me, the best prep for that was I need to know how an institution works. And so I started, you know, trying to get in touch with as as much as I could. And um, so going into grad school, I just my problem was I said, where where am I going to work? You know, how am I going to decide between res life or student activities or admissions or 
you know, working in the student union. I mean, I appreciated all those different facets. And so assessment then was this amazing solution because with assessment, you get to work with all those areas. And so even though I was somewhat specializing myself and I even had some uh, advisors and, and mentors worry that going down the assessment path might somewhat uh, constrain me, uh, given my abilities. And, and, you know, they know like, oh, you're so great working with students or, oh, you're so great doing this or that, you know, an assessment you're, you know, they feared I was going to be kind of locked in an office and, you know, not, you know, only working with data. And, but I said, no, you know, it's, it's almost the exact opposite is I'm going to get to be working with every single office at a university. I'm going to be getting to impact all those different areas and not constrained or pigeonholed to, well, you know, you're in student activities, so keep your opinions to yourself because Res Life, you know, they handle their own stuff. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, and so I feel like assessment allows me to kind of travel from camp to camp uh, and help um, break down any silos or also just um, at times be a unifier in terms of sharing like, hey, advising, did you know that stu- that uh, student activities or orientation or residence life have some very similar student learning outcomes with some of the things that they're doing. You all are working with students in different ways, but you all care about X, Y, or Z. And here's some of the ways that they're measuring that and what they're finding. And, you know, isn't that interesting to pair with what you're finding? And um, so it's funny you say that, you know, um, that I, I found this specialization because I almost thought it was a bit of a cheat in terms of going a career path that still allowed me to explore all my interests and, and work in, in different areas of the university. Mm-hmm. Now that's a really good point. Um, yeah, like special specializing in being a generalist or something, you know, like, like you yeah. Yeah, found this almost like loophole or something, but, um, but yeah, and, and that's how it should be. Cause I think, yeah, I was like working off of this limited point of view that like, yeah, sometimes it's like each division, you know, each department within the division would have its own, like, you know, assessment person, but it's like, yeah, it should be like, you know, more transparency and accessibility of data and, you know, so that everyone can kind of make decisions on, um, you know, how they're going about things. And especially if they have shared goals, they, you know, should have that. There shouldn't be, you know, um, too many barriers, I guess, uh, especially with certain kind of information, like everyone would probably, you know, benefit from knowing it. But, um, you know, I think that segues nicely to like, you know, with your current work, um, you know, you know, it's doing this, this type of work that you really enjoy doing. Like, what do you enjoy about it most if it's, you know, maybe just about the institution in particular, or just the kind of level that you've gotten to, like, what, what are the things that kind of keep you engaged right now with your, your current job? Uh, I would say, you know, it's at its core, it's, I enjoy being able to help other people and promote learning and, and build capacity. Um, you know, I went into college, you know, growing up, the, I thought I was going to be a teacher. And when I got to college, I um, thought that, well, if I'm going to teach, because you know, I was love, I, my eyes were open at college because I, I, I went to high school in a village, <laughs> so it was a very rural, small right. <laughs> uh, area. So coming to college was really eye-opening, even at a small institution. Um, and so once I got there, I thought, oh, well, I, I want to, you know, it was already that seed of wanting to be at the college level. So I thought, well, I, if I'm going to teach, I want to teach at the collegiate level. And they said, well, if you're going to do that, you know, you don't need to be an education major. You just you know, s- specialize in a discipline and go from there. Um, and so for me, I've 
you know, I've always had this desire to, to help other people, help them learn and help them do things on their own. And so what I love about assessment is I get to do that, you know, and it also is a perfect union between my um, academic strengths of, you know, math and English. <laughs> so I can help take data and help transform or articulate it into information that other people uh, can make sense of and that they can use and, and convey messages to, to even other stakeholders. So it's just incredible for me to sit and watch the light bulbs come on when I'm, you know, not necessarily, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of conversation right now, especially a lot of criticisms uh, in recent opinion pieces in you know, the Chronicle and Time Magazine and uh, Inside Higher Ed about faculty um, not buying into assessment or, or not, you know, not believing in it or thinking it's just this administrative or compliance related thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so putting that aside, right, like putting aside the whole, like, well, I'm trying to get buy-in or get them on board for me, it's, you know, I try to get to know them as individuals and what they care about their area, you know, what their, what their goals are, what they believe they're doing with students. And then I try and let them know that my job is to help them continue doing all of that, but then also to have evidence to back up in case anyone challenges them on how they're doing or to also just better understand how they're doing. Maybe they haven't ever disaggregated their data to know how um, students of different races or ethnicities or, or genders are learning. You know, maybe they only are looking at these overall averages and so I can help them with that. Um, maybe they're, you know, Maybe they didn't have access to additional data sets or to pull in demographics, and so they only have what they have, and I can help be the gateway to, to get additional information. But also, I try to tap into that passion for them to then, by providing them data, help build inquiry and curiosity. And so these are the main things they, they want to know, but what else is keeping them up at night when they think about student success or when they think about students engaging in their area? And so to see them had that light bulb come on and to see how they, you know, I, I, I fundamentally believe if people engage properly in assessment and they have assessment staff and infrastructure that uh, has open communication, that everyone would benefit from assessment and that everyone would see its value. I think the problems come in the, the communication or the implementation of, you know, well, this is the way we're going to do it. And so you have to fit that mold. Um, but for me, I always try and understand them and, and look to cater the ultimate process to them uh, so that they see the value and they see the meaning. And even the first time they turn in a report, I kind of put the report aside and ask them, you know, whether, whether you think the results, you know, whether you're happy about them or concerned about them, has this changed anything for you? You know, have you been able to, do you now have new questions? Do you now feel satisfied? Or if you never did this, is your world still the same? Because if that's the case, then something went wrong. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Whether it was you all not necessarily telling me all the things that matter to you, or maybe we picked a wrong instrument, or maybe it just really didn't turn out the way either of us thought it would. But it should never be the case that you go through an assessment cycle and and everything is just as if that cycle never happened and as if the data was never collected. You should always get something, even if it's an affirmation of, well, that's what I thought was happening. Great. 
<laughs> now you have evidence and you can, you know, put that out there in case, you know, people don't necessarily listen to you in particular um, on, on your campus or, um, you know, within your area or, or with students. Uh, so, yeah, the, the thing I love the most is just still being in a position to help educate and help others um, really help themselves in, in doing their work and using things that are available to them to advance that. And then on the accreditation side, I really appreciate that because a lot of times with assessment, um, I, I don't have any authority. <laughs> you know, I can recommend things, but at the end of the day, people can do whatever they want because they don't report to me. You know, the faculty report up to their deans and the provost and the student affairs people report up to their directors and their vice, the, you know, the vice president of student affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, but accreditation is one of those things that, yeah, still the people don't report to me, but there's still this kind of bite to it of this is a compliance issue. You know, if we don't, if we don't get our accreditation, we can't offer financial aid. You know, if we're not meeting state regulations, we can't operate that location that we have, you know, that that we're providing access to certain institutions in a certain part of the state. So I really like that there's still but but the other nice thing with accreditation is that I'd say 95, if not higher percent of the time, if you're doing good work, you're meeting accreditation needs. Very rarely, very rarely, like 5% of the time, you're having to do something in a certain way for compliance sake. Uh-huh. It's usually, I mean, criteria 4B with um, the Higher Learning Commission, HLC, is the most cited uh, criteria for, in, for the thousand institutions that HLC accredits, and that is assessment. And it's not because their, you know, their criteria is asking for anything wild or unique, it's because people struggle with assessment. And so if you're doing good assessment work, then you're going to be fine with criteria 4B. And the, the same is true with all the other criteria. It's like I said, it's very rarely if you are doing what you should be doing in your discipline or for your area and for the best interest of the students, you're usually not going to have issues with, with accreditation. Um, so, that's the other thing I really like about it that also pairs well on the assessment side is you know, we're promoting good practice here. And if you're doing good work, following good practice, the accreditation stuff will usually take care of itself. But the nice added benefit, like I said, is if you're not listening to me and you're not heeding my advice, you know, the accreditation has a little more bite there of, you know, well, then you're going to have to answer to our peer reviewers or you're going to have to answer to the president when we get a report back saying that your area, you know, was not not in compliance or there's some risk concerns here. Um, So I try not to play that card, but it's a great card to have. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, because like, yeah, good points of just like, because you could you know, do all the analyzing and conveying of helpful information in the world. But, you know, like you said, it's like, well, yeah, this is meaningless if no action is taken from it. You know, like it, it's the same as if it never happened. Cause yeah, it could be like confirming that someone is doing good work. So then you would want to like deploy more resources where it is, you know, showing positive results. Or if it's like, Hey, we're trying to achieve this goal, you know, we did not measure up to it. So then you're, you know, you should take action on that of like, you know, 
okay, let's stop doing it or change how we're doing it or, you know, just, you know, deploy resources elsewhere or something, you know, but it's like you need that information to kind of internally in an office, like figure out how you're going about things, but then also you're saying to prove to other people or help promote, you know, uh, you know, the institution out to say like, Hey, here are the outcomes that we're supporting. Um, and yeah, certainly yeah, just <laughs> the simplest way of like the bite that you can have just like, like we, you know, we have to be able to like just measure these things and show, you know, what we're doing, but, you know, reassuring to most people, it's like, don't worry about it. Like, you know, like unless you're kind of going, uh, you know, real wild or anything, like you, you should be in a good place, but it's always valuable again, to have the, sometimes the affirmation that you are doing mm-hmm. good work so that you can continue to do it, maybe invest more in it or just you know, yeah, like figure out what you need to start or stop or change and all those sort of things. So yeah, it's yeah. like only so, so meaningful in that there is like, you know, meaningful action that is taken from any of these sort of measurements. But um, so, yeah, I feel like, you know, you kind of live in this very, you know, kind of properly geeky, nerdy realm uh, within <laughs> higher ed uh, doing all this stuff. So I'm curious, you know, if maybe it's stuff that like feeds in to your like professional daily life or if there's some other you know, you know, purely, you know, some good things sometimes like purely unrelated geeky things that you're into that, you know, bring you joy and all that. So like, what are the things that you're enjoying currently? Like, what are you geeking out about currently? And, you know, maybe just highlighting if there are things that you've always been into or stuff that you've like discovered more recently. Yeah. So, I mean, work related stuff I'm geeking out about are when there's new kind of regulations and changes that are coming about. Um, like, GDPR right now, the general data provisional regulation uh, in the EU in over in Europe, they passed this regulation that uh, I guess the easiest way to describe it is uh, it's almost like the permission that students can say, you have to be able to forget me, right? Like, you know, how that was a thing when, when uh, that people had maybe with Google is you, you want to be able to get rid of pictures or have things removed and and you know you want to have that right and that freedom. Well, so the EU decided to push this regulation, which you might think cool that's happening in Europe. Why is that relevant here? Well, any institution that has international students has to also comply with that, which gets complicated when you think about you know if you just pick up the phone right now and call an institution. They're gonna, you know, track your phone number. They're gonna, t- they're gonna try and get your name. They're gonna try and find out like what you're interested in, what you're calling about, and that's gonna sit in a record somewhere. Even if you just called with a random question, um, because they think, oh, well, maybe Dustin's interested, or maybe he'll call back, or, mm-hmm. um, and so with the EU, it's, you know, it, it really put institutions in an interesting position of, okay, so how do we continue to do what we do in terms of tracking prospective students or tracking questions? But then being able to go in and identify those things and get rid of them if the person wants us to. Uh, so it it just presented this really interesting logistical systems related uh, question. And and I think a lot of institutions are wrestling that way r- right now. Um, but uh, but that was just so that's just one example of like a policy related thing that, you know, just to sit around and noodle on a bit, it, it's interesting to, to think about, well, like, do we offer that to other students or are we really only doing that or giving that type of thing for, for the students of the EU? Um, but thinking about other work-related things, um, still along the lines of you know, data systems, uh, I'm getting a lot more into 
coding and things like R, which is a combination. It's a statistical language, but it's a, a combination between like computer science and coding and um, just your typical stats uh, power, like SPSS. Uh, but the the neat thing with this with the language is, and it has this coding interface, is you can create code that will pull data from a website. It will then clean that data and put it in the format that you want, and then it'll publish that as a Word document, or you can even create and publish it as an interactive display on a website. And you can do all of that with just this one little script that you write. Um, so it's really, really powerful, but takes a lot of knowledge. <laughs> and um, for me, I'd always been interested in, in coding um, and just never taking the time to do it. And so uh, two to three years ago, I did a data science specialization through Coursera. Um, and all the content was from Johns Hopkins University and got decent with R, um, but then I haven't had the time to play with it much um, since then. And so like any other language, if you don't use it, you forget it or you get really rusty. Um, but I'm seeing it pop up more and more because yeah, several years ago when I was learning about it and talking about it, anybody I talked, nobody knew what I was talking about. The only people that really knew were I had some friends that were in, um, you know, they're, they're PhD programs in the hard sciences. And so they're dealing with a lot of data sets and, and having to run a lot of analysis. And they knew of it. Um, but a lot of people in the higher ed space really, I, I couldn't connect with anyone that, that really knew about it. So now it's becoming a lot more common and a lot more um, talked about. And, and even at our institution, we're, we're, we're identifying potential opportunities to, to utilize it to either make processes more efficient or to find workarounds to, you know, maybe we don't have the, the platform or the, the money to, to pay for um, certain off-the-shelf vendor services, but, but ultimately we need something that's going to meet our unique needs. And so why don't we just try and create that on our own through R for the reporting that we want to do or for, you know, hosting a, a little um, data-specific website. So I'm geeking out about that, but unfortunately, the the geeking is limited <laughs> because I'm not able to really like sit and play uh, with the data um, because I just have so many other more administrative things um, that I have to do. But I'm really excited this year to work with uh, an assessment manager on my team to explore a bit more of that. And um, that's kind of my excuse and permission to myself to, to dive back into it a little bit uh, because we have a very real uh, need for doing that type of work uh, this year. And yeah, so, so I'll be able to get back into that a little more. And then the, the final piece that I'm uh, geeking out a little bit about is I'm in my doctoral program uh, I'm about a year in, and I'm already starting to, um, you know, very lightly and from a cursory perspective, start to pull some articles and things for for my ultimate lit review and um, dissertation related work. Um, but one of the things that in my role with assessment and accreditation, and also uh, what I'm looking to do for my doc program, I just am 
continuing to uh, slowly dive into the uh, the world of faculty. Uh, I think they are a very interesting role within the university uh, infrastructure because they have uh, kind of a certain air about them as well as historically they have expectations um, placed on them as well as expectations for how they can um, act and conduct themselves and, and operate on a university's campus. Um, and they're honestly given a lot of latitude, you know, they're, they're given a lot of freedoms and, um, you know, things like tenure where, you know, it's, it's providing, uh, long-term job security and, um, making it so, you know, they don't necessarily have to go to certain meetings or participate in certain processes. It's, it's just an interesting world that, you know, staff members don't have at all. (laughs) And so, what you know so so i want to dig more into that and as i continue to find uh i continue to find both kind of research related elements of that um living in parallel within day-to-day practical work related things where you know i'm i'm needing to work with faculty and and needing to better understand their their time and their needs in order to you know, achieve mutual success of, of them participating in these activities, but also me getting things done um, that are that are part of my strategy. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I guess that's always like a nice thing when, like, <laughs> I guess, yeah, you may have limited time outside of the office to like really, you know, get into too much stuff. You know, you're spending quality time like with family or just hanging out, wanting to relax. So if it's like, you know, you have these almost little like side projects or little curiosities that you can um, kind of geek out about in your professional context and it helps to keep things fresh, but helps you do your work better or help, you know, other people better um, and those sort of things. So it's, it's cool. And yeah, just let you be able to like kind of build that skill through, you know, more flexible education tools like Coursera or something. Um, Cause yeah, there's really a lot of good content out there to, you know, build those sort of skills and stuff. So um, yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, I mean, in, in, in terms of um, anything else, obviously, you may be uh, more consumed, I guess, with your uh, reading for your doc program. Um, but I guess anything else that's kind of, uh, you know, that you're reading, watching and or listening to anything that's in kind of regular circulation or anything that really that you'd want to highlight so we can uh, include it in the show notes. Yeah, well, to your point, re- reading at this point is dedicated to my doc program and then, you know, just like I said, news or, or um, things going about in the field of either accreditation or assessment. Um, I am a big geek nerd uh, trivia buff for Seinfeld uh, and have, <laughs> um, you know, we, we have a baby now. And so that has, that and the doc program has really put, <laughs> put some constraints on my free time, but, you know, had a, a nice group of, of folks here in Chicago and, uh, that would frequently go to Seinfeld trivia nights. And I mean, our, we would consistently place, uh, if not win, uh, in my office, I actually have some Seinfeld memorabilia and stuff that we've won at, at competitions. Um, so that's always a good go-to, even if I do have free time and, um, maybe there's nothing on, I'm always happy to watch episodes of Seinfeld. Um, (laughs) Likewise, from a music perspective, um, 
I am a huge fan of this rock band, this Atlanta-based rock band called Seven Dust. Uh, they've been around since the the 90s, and um, I've been to 20-plus concerts of theirs over the years. Wow. I usually go to a concert every kind of new album uh, and tour cycle. Um, they just had a new album come out um, this summer, and so I was able to go this summer. Um but yeah, otherwise, uh, I'm a huge fan of the Discover Weekly feature on Spotify uh, to to learn more about new music or also just um, get updates of, you know, maybe I, I liked certain tracks by one artist and now they have new music out or potentially it's old music that maybe I haven't explored. Yeah. Um, so I love that feature as well. Um, and then again, with timing of timing constraints, you know, when it comes to TV or movies, I really defer a lot to my partner um, to let her pick um, whatever might make her happy. And I'm usually pretty easy to please there. Um, although I will say one thing that I have been promoting for people to check out, especially if you're uh, into music, is there's, um, I guess you'd call it a documentary on Netflix called Hired Gun. And it's all about the world and lived experience of musicians who are hired for recordings or shows and just kind of used for a very short time and then kind of let go, like really just temporary type work. Um, and so it's fascinating to hear about, you know, these, these people that are doing, you know, very memorable like guitar parts or helping with drums or, um, you know, helping with tours for certain artists and uh, making hits, but then you never know their name. <laughs> oh. You would, you would, they're not even listed as kind of being credited as a member of the band. They're lucky if they get kind of a little, you know, asterisk note, like in the, you know, the, the physical CD, like notes for, for certain songs. Um, and so, that, you know, one, it was just a really cool um, show to see, you know, some of the history behind some of these pieces and meet some of these people. But two, yeah, it just was interesting then to think about kind of their career and their um, kind of part-time. It, it'd be as if, um, you know, and who knows, maybe higher ed is going to get more to this point, but, you know, there's a lot of people kind of side gigging and um, doing stuff for hire these days. And uh, so it's just interesting to think about that on the musical side, as opposed to, you know, kind of individual artists who are established and kind of have a, a band that they use consistently or tour with. And um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good one if you're at all interested in some more of the behind the scenes to music making. Yeah, I don't know if there is. There must be because I feel like people talk about it a lot or they have talked about it a lot in like the last couple of years. Um, like, yeah, like some sort of documentary that's like that equivalent for movies. There's like script doctors that'll just like come mm -hmm. in, you know, kind of surgically fix, uh, you know, troubled, uh, movie scripts or, you know, there's any of that kind of stuff. And like, um, yeah, it's just like so many untold stories and unsung heroes of, uh, you know, entertainment or just like, you know, a lot of aspects of life, but sometimes it's really interesting and entertainment because there's like certain people, yeah, that become household names and they're superstars and all that. And it's like, there's a lot of other people that were, you know, doing things behind the scenes for them. And especially somebody who it's like, 
he maybe just had this very brief ascent with like you know a rock star for a little while and then you're like you know and you'll just have that story of just like yeah i went on tour for one year with like you know whoever and it's just like what like yeah <laughs> um but uh yeah that's cool um yeah, we will end here on the optimistic note as we always do. So um, what are some thing or things that you are looking forward to in your job, life, and or the world? Yeah, so some work-related, well, yeah, like academic and work-related stuff. I just recently joined uh, NILOA as a coach. NILOA is the National Institute of Learning Outcomes Assessment and I was able to become um, their newest coach, which just means that institutions can kind of apply to them uh, asking for assistance or support or, or consulting and coaching. Um, and then NILOA tries to pair them up with, with their, you know, one of their 14 or 15 coaches and you get to go there and, and check it out. So while I'm a new coach, I've not yet gone on any site visits. Um, so I'm looking forward to hopefully having uh, two of those this coming year. And nice. um, and starting this spring, spring 2019, um, while I said I've been initially just starting to gather some articles, you know, spring 2019, I'll start to formally, officially kind of get into my lit review for my um, doc program and start chipping away at you know the, the big final project. So yeah. So that's that. But in the more immediate future, um, really excited for a family trip uh, this fall, end of September, early October, going to Hawaii. Um, and we're pretty excited and we've not never been um, and had an idea to go. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say the to be honest, the big impetus is our, our little one turns two in December. So we were trying to still get under that radar of... Um, you know, under two kids fly free. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll be taking a toddler to Hawaii and um, enjoying that big family vacation. Very cool. Um, yeah, all good stuff going on there. And yeah, it's neat just to have almost like that. I guess I don't know how you, you know. It's like kind of like freelance. Yeah, you're sort of like you know maybe that you're the hired gun of uh you know assessment or something being able to like go to campus like if they have a particular project or initiative or something that they're trying to do or just you know you can just keep you know utilizing and sharing um, which is something I, i've always appreciated about higher ed as much as it's like it could be like business and it's like okay theoretically we're all competing with each other but also like it's a very collaborative space and just you know um yeah, it's just nice that you get, uh, you will, you know, get that opportunity to uh, go to some places and stuff. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, just kind of hustle towards uh, that vacation. That'll be awesome as yeah. well. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, best of luck with the, uh, dissertation stuff. Cause I know that's also kind of a, I don't know, I, I guess, are you trying to get it done like as quickly as possible or are you kind of going for like a long marathon with it? Well, so the, the good news is I'm in a, an EDD program, um, so it's more practitioner focused. And so as long as you stay the course, um, it should just be three years uh, as opposed to, I mean, I guess you could take longer, but um, if you, you know, I should finish up with classes by next fall so that'll be you know two years kind of full of classes and that third year is kind of just all um writing uh so i'm pretty confident i'll be able to finish in that three-year window um yeah 
I'm, I'm putting good vibes out there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause it's like yeah, open to like, you know, life may happen, but yeah, it's right. like, it seems like, yeah, you're on a, on a good track so far. Cause I know just like, yeah, working with, uh, uh, you know, a lot of like online adult learners and stuff like, you know, like stuff happens where it's like, you know, a momentary disruption or something. And just obviously still having the commitment to, to see it through and finish. But, you know, as long as you go about it the right way, those things can be, can be managed. But, um, yeah, that's good. Cause I think that would just always be tough to me, like working on something for so long, like I've seen some people do, but it's like, that also just helps balance it. So it's never as stressful, but it's like, you know, I can certainly understand the value and just kind of that, you know, quick sprint, uh, just to get it done because, you know, the longer you do it, the more often you might have sort of, you know, life stuff get in the way. But, um, so well, and that's yeah. my, that's my personality. And like, I don't think I could sustain, that kind of a project for too long just because I'm the kind of per- like I'll dive into something. And so I feel like to, tr- you know, I'm all, I already feel nervous about trying to restrain myself and, you know, only doing these, you know, s- scheduled swim sessions, so, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but because I, you know, I'm the kind of like, if I, if it's a paper, if it's a big project, you know, I just, I want to, get as much of it done or, or get as deep into it as I can to then know how to kind of schedule my time from there. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't even know if I, you know, it'd be really hard for me to try and sustain it to a really long extended timeline, unless you know, just by nature you have to, right? Like uh-huh. it's, it's dependent on these other things happening over time. And so you can only do so much within this year because then this other thing has to happen to kind of be the gate that opens for you to, to move on. But, you know, left to my own devices, you know, I will be probably diving in and working as fast and furiously as, as I can. And as my family. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Good luck. I mean, just getting, uh, getting through these uh, next couple of years here and that, that, that's just gonna be awesome for you though. Just, uh, kind of yeah, focus and yeah like push through and uh, get it done it sounds like it's a pretty manageable pace but um yeah and uh yeah enjoy the vacation and all that and just uh, really appreciate your time and all that you shared and uh, just i appreciate you just geeking out about uh you know this work that you're doing and um yeah i'm sure we will uh we'll talk again soon yeah no this was so great to be able to one not only share but also be to to chat more with you because yeah as we were talking about before we've we've read each other's work and we're regularly uh-huh. in uh-huh. certain circles with one another but but yeah aren't aren't always taking the time to sit down and chat yeah that's future future conferences for sure yes yeah um yeah it's like a podcast is always a good excuse just to have some <laughs> uh, good quality chats with folks so um yeah hopefully yeah, i'll see you maybe you know around a conference and stuff but uh yeah again appreciate your time and uh And just have a good rest of your day. All right. Thanks, you too, Dustin. This podcast is a proud member of the Connect EDU Podcast Network, bringing together diverse voices and thoughtful discussions to the higher ed community. Check us out online at connectedu.network or on Twitter at connectedupod. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.